we've finally come to that day. And that day is the day we finish our time together in the book of Acts. And we have been blessed by Luke's record of the church's birth on that wonderful day of Pentecost when God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell His people. We have watched the church grow from 120 people in an upper room in Jerusalem to millions of people throughout the Roman Empire. Through Luke's pen, we have traveled with Peter and Paul as they led the church to carry out the Holy Spirit-powered mission Jesus Christ Himself gave us when Luke wrote this. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We've had our hearts break as Luke records how men, women, and children were driven from their homes because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We've had our hearts break when we read of how Stephen was martyred because of his faithful witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the predicted Messiah. We've experienced the joy of reading how it's always been part of God's plan to include the Gentile nations in His offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. And why, why have we experienced that joy? Because that's us. When God opened the door and, and made sure that Paul and even Peter understood that the Gentiles were included in His salvation, that includes every Gentile that has ever lived and will ever live and that is all of us. We've been awed and display at, at the display of God's power to heal the sick and even raise the dead through His chosen apostles. We've been astounded by God's providential deliverance of His people through angels and earthquakes and pagan rulers. And this morning, Luke finished his historical account of the early church by showing us how God kept His promise to Paul that He would preach the gospel in Rome and, now Paul, and how Paul has always stayed focused on that mission. So if you would, please turn with me to Acts chapter 28, which is uh, page 1192 in your pew Bible. That's the red book in front of you. Please feel free uh, take, to take one of those home if you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible. And I would highly, highly recommend that everybody grab a Bible and make sure you're following along because we're going to be referencing it a lot today. It's a fairly uh, lengthy passage and they're not all, all the verses are not going to be up on the screen. So let's uh, open up a Bible and take a look at it. And before we continue, let's pray. Father God, we are so blessed to have your word. We are so blessed to be able to meet in this building in a way that we are free, in a way that we know that you're here with us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would open our minds to what you would have us see about you and how you have used Paul to teach and train us about staying on mission to spread the gospel to the entire world. We ask these things, Lord God, in Christ's name, amen. Of course, we're going to have to set the context for these, these verses so that we understand and we're all on the same page. And Paul has been traveling by ship for about six months, and he has finally arrived in Rome. And if you will look uh, at chapter 28, verse, the last part of verse 14 through 15, it says, And so we came to Rome. 
Paul has finally made it to Rome after all six months in travel, after shipwrecks and snake bites and all this stuff. Paul is finally at Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul will be in Rome under house arrest for two years. And during those two years, he will be staying on mission just as he always has. For two years, he will give witness of the salvation from sins by faith God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. And I really, really enjoy the last part of verse 15, where it says there, on seeing them, what did Paul do when he saw the people from Rome? What did he say? What does it say? Paul did what? He thanked God and took courage. He thanked God and took courage. God used Paul in mighty ways throughout his trip to Rome. There were harrowing times and great times of ministry, and Paul never forgot who made it possible. No matter what happened in his, in his trip to Rome, Paul thanked God for what he went through. So he thanks God and took courage that God would continue to protect him as he began his ministry in Rome. And then he says, and he took courage. If you had seen God working in your life and bringing you to right where He told you He would take you through shipwrecks and through all the difficulties He had, do you think that you would have a lot more courage to present the gospel and and do what God has asked you to do if you had seen God work in your life like that? It's the same way for us today. We'll never grow in our courage if we don't see God working in our lives. We can grow in our courage like Paul did only when we stay on mission like Paul did. The more we experience God's power and provision and the differences brought on by being gospel witnesses, the more we'll thank Him and the more courageous we will grow. If we choose not to stay on mission because it's hard or it will cost us too much to be a witness, we will not courageously witness for our Savior. If we allow the world to get in the way of our mission, we will never become courageous witnesses. In verse 16, we find Paul was allowed to live by himself under house arrest. Look at verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. More than likely, he was chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier around the clock. Every four hours, a new soldier would come in and they would switch the chain. Think about the influence that Paul had on these soldiers. Day in and day out, they had to listen to the message Paul came to Rome to preach. And sometimes preachers really wish that we could chain some folks so that they would listen too, you know. It'd be kind of nice to not let them get away. And his message was that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again so that all who would put their faith in him would be saved from the penalty of their sins, would be saved from the wrath of God, and that they would become children destined to live with Jesus Christ for all of eternity in heaven. That's what the soldiers heard over and over and over. We know his guards were greatly influenced because Paul writes about them in his letter to the Philippians. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served, is he really excited about that? Really served, to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He says, I'm really excited. He goes, I'm chained to a guard 24-7. I'm illegally being detained. God is using this, and the guards, the imperial guards are learning about Jesus Christ. And you know what? Some of those guards got saved. Many of them did. 
And as they were spread out through Rome, as they were assigned in different places, what did they take with them? That would never have happened if God hadn't put Paul in a prison, chained to guards 24-7. For two years, Paul waited for his trial. Remember, he was innocent of all charges, but he stayed on mission. He never focused on his rights or his plight. He used this time under house arrest to influence anyone he could, even those responsible, as we said, regarding him. And we see Paul staying with his normal practice when he entered a new location. He would always go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles when the Jews rejected him. And he does that here in Rome also. He was in a really delicate position. You see, he came into town not as a free man, not as a, as a preacher, not as a Pharisee. He came into Rome as what? A prisoner. And that put him in a delicate position. He needed to explain to the Jewish leaders why he was a prisoner and to defend his innocence. And he needed to do that in a way that didn't alienate the Jewish uh, community. And look at what he says starting in verse 17. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." So here we see in verses 17 through 20 that he is going to make several points to these Jewish leaders. First, in verse 17, he said he was innocent of damaging the Jews or their customs. He says, I did not walk away from my Jewishness. I have done nothing to bring dishonor to God as a Jew. And then in verse 18, he says, the Roman authorities in Judea thought that I was innocent. He went to three different trials, and in all three trials, they didn't have anything to really convict him of. And he presented that to those Jewish leaders in Rome. In verse 19, he said, The only recourse I had was to appeal to Caesar because I wasn't going to get a fair trial. The Jews had refused to deal justly with Paul. And now in in verse 19, the second part, he also makes a really, really important announcement or important point. He was not pressing charges against Israel. He was not going to Caesar to stand before Caesar and say, Look at what the Jews have done for me. He didn't want the Jews to think that he had come there as a prisoner and he was going to use uh, the Jews as part of his defense. He goes, that's not my point. And then in verse 20, he says his primary objective in calling the leaders was to talk with them about the hope of Israel. And that phrase that we find in verse 20, the hope of Israel, was used by Paul several times uh, in the last part of Acts. And the hope of Israel was more than the resurrection It meant the fulfillment of Old Testament promises to Israel. And Paul firmly believed that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel who would return someday and establish himself as the King of Israel and the Lord of all nations. And he said, that's why I've come here to talk to you. That's why I have called you to me. I want you to hear of the hope of Israel that I am firmly convinced that Jesus Christ is our predicted Messiah. And wouldn't you know it? The same thing happened here that has happened in every place that 
Paul was. Look at verses 21 through 22, and we'll see how the, uh, the Jews responded. Verse 21, and they said to him, that's the Jewish leaders, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Down to verse 23, and when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And what happens? As usual, and some were convinced by what he was said, and what? Others disbelieved. In verses 21 through 22, we're not sure if Jewish leaders are really being honest, that they really didn't have any idea of what was going on with Paul. There are some scholars who feel that they're just lying through their teeth, that they're kind of setting him up so that he would condemn himself by what he said. Others say that they really didn't have a, a case against him. They didn't know about him because the papers of his, what he was being accused of were probably lost in the shipwreck. And because he was stuck at Malta for all the winter and took the first ship out, the other Jewish leaders and other, uh, to replace all the paperwork would not have been able to have it to Rome in time. We really don't know why they said this, but some feel that they were just trying to set Paul up. And then look at verse 23 again, at verse 23. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. This is what Paul does to stay on mission. This is what staying on mission means for us also. Paul speaks about Jesus. He wants to talk about the kingdom of God. He wants people to be saved. He wants his people to be saved. He shares about the kingdom of God. He shared from dawn to dusk. And notice that he just didn't share information. He fervently tried to persuade them to see Jesus for who he really was. He tried to solemnly convince them. And you want to know something? That is our mission too. Every Christ follower that is sitting in here, that is what being on mission looks like. We use every opportunity God places in our path to tell others about Jesus Christ. If it takes hours to do that, we will make time to do that. And we're not just taking them through the Bible and walking through the Romans road. We are looking at them intently and we're saying, you need to believe this. You need to understand with all your heart how Jesus Christ has come to take away your sins. Paul tried to persuade them. He tried to show, he didn't try to persuade them with emotion. He didn't try to persuade them by jumping up and down and yelling. He just took them to the word. He took them to the law and the prophets. And he says, look, this Jesus has been predicted in the law and the prophets. He is your Messiah. Don't abandon him. Don't turn your back on him. And that's what we're to do. We are to persuade people. Help them see who Jesus Christ is. They still may reject, but we try to persuade. We try to look at them and we try to tell them, you need to see who Jesus is. And then we see, saw in verse 24 that some believed and some didn't. And then Paul continues to help not only them, the Jews, but also us figure out why it was so hard for the Jews to believe. Look at verses 25 through 27. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here's the statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So he takes them back to the prophet Isaiah. He takes them back. 
Go to this people and say, you will need indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. What Jesus is talking to them about comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And these are very, very popular verses in the New Testament. Jesus quoted them in Matthew 13. John quoted them in John 12. Paul uses them in Romans 11. And Luke uses them here in Acts. And basically what they say is, the Jews had become so dull of hearing that even when they heard the truth of the gospel that had been predicted predicted in the Old Testament, they wouldn't recognize it. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't see it. They had allowed themselves to become so dull in their spiritual life that they couldn't even see the truth. They had so hardened their heart that God turned to the Gentiles. And this is why God sent Paul to the Gentiles, because they would not listen. And he says that, look at verse 28. Therefore, because they have become so dull of hearing, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to whom? The Gentiles. This is why Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles and the Gentile nations. You see, the Gentile nations, that's all of us. That has been the focus of the church for centuries. The gospel is preached to everyone today, Jews and Gentiles, but it is the same today. Many, if not most Jews, still are dull of hearing and refuse to understand who Jesus Christ is. And today, even the church is mostly turned to, and most of the witnessing and most of the reaching out is done to the Gentile nations, even today. And now we come to the last two verses of Acts. Some of your Bibles will have an extra verse, verse 29. In the ESV, that verse is not there. Most of the major newer translations, that verse is not there. It was generally considered as being added much later to try to make a point or to try to clarify some stuff, but it's not in the original manuscripts, and so many of the translations, many of your Bibles will have it bracketed or have it left out completely. If you want to discuss how that happens more, uh, you can get with me. But take a look at verses, starting at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's it. We're done. The book of Acts ends abruptly. There has been much discussion on why the book ends so suddenly, and we really don't know. It's just like Luke is making a point. Paul is talking to the Jewish leaders. Boom. It just ends. We do not believe that this is the end of Paul's life here. It's generally believed that Paul never stood trial at this time in Rome. There was no evidence that the Jewish leaders ever showed up. And Rome, in their laws, they believed that you could not be convicted of something unless you faced your accuser. And many scholars believe that this never happened, that the Jews were not going to come and stand before Caesar. Why? They had already lost three other times. They knew their case was weak, and it would not have been in their best interest to bring a weak case that had already lost three times before Caesar. And so they believed that the two years that Paul was being held in prison, they were just waiting for the Jews to show up, and they never did, so that he eventually was released. It is believed Paul did continue on to Spain, where he had said he wanted to go, and that he was rearrested later on, a couple of years later, and brought back to Rome. And it said during that second Roman imprisonment that he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and to Philemon. And those are all called the prison epistles. So if you ever hear somebody say the prison epistles, it is Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Because it is then 
during the second imprisonment that Paul wrote to all these churches. He was, his rearrest was God's plan for us to have four books of the Bible that we have right now. And God used his second imprisonment to make that happen. No matter what circumstances Paul in, Paul always saw the circumstances of time and opportunity to talk about Jesus and the kingdom of God. You want to know something? Let me ask you. Do you look at every situation and every circumstance in your life as an opportunity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Whether you have been fairly treated or unfairly treated, whether they agree with you or disagree with you, every situation, every circumstance, you are looking for an opportunity to say, Lord God, how can I stay on mission and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? We know through Paul's example what it means to stay on mission. We see this, his commitment to this mission, not only in Acts, but in his second letter to Timothy. Look at what he says as he writes to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Listen to what he says. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Wow, bound with chains. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I will endure everything. I will endure anything to make sure that I am on mission, to make sure that everybody hears about Jesus Christ from my lips. Let me ask you something. When's the last time somebody heard Jesus Christ from you? When's the last time you were trying to persuade somebody about Jesus Christ? You see, we have the same mission as Paul did. And we're going to live through good circumstances and bad circumstances. When's the last time you spoke to somebody about Jesus Christ? When is the last time you looked somebody deep in the eyes and said, you need to know my Savior? Not just say it flippantly or in passing, just because I, you know, I kind of fit it in here, but you're looking at them and say, hey, listen, you need to know Jesus. You see, that's our mission too. Paul was a prisoner, but even as a prisoner, he never let prison hinder the proclamation of the gospel. You and I are not the Apostle Paul, and we don't live in the first century. But I can guarantee you something, that there are some parallels. There are some things that we have in common with Paul. There are some things we have in common with Paul, even now in the 21st century. And that's what we're going to look at and spend the rest of our time at. We know what Paul was. We know what he did. We know how he spread the gospel. We know that he's an example for us. But sometimes we look at the Bible and say, well, that's not me. I'm not the Apostle Paul. He was gifted to do that. I'm not. You know, he was special. The problem is we're going to find out that that's not true when we look at these four common things that we have with Paul even though we live in the 21st century. So four things that we have in common with Paul. First, we have the same mission. We have the same mission. Starts in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, "All this is to the apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What did he say? What does he mean? All authority is, I have a right to tell you what I'm getting ready to tell you, and there is nobody higher that you can refer to or take a, an appeal to. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and do what? Make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the first introduction of our mission. Go and make disciples. How do we make disciples? We tell them about Jesus Christ. No matter what's going on in our lives, we tell them about Jesus Christ. And as God brings them to Jesus Christ, then we have the wonderful opportunity of baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we've had that here just recently. We had five or six people being baptized here within the last month. And then that familiar passage that we've been looking at for months now that parallels this, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is our mission. There has never been another mission for the church. There never will be another mission for the church. Every discipleship ministry we have needs to be designed to better prepare our members to succeed at the mission that Jesus Christ Himself gave the church. Every ministry and every event that brings us into contact with those we live around needs to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and we need to be able to answer their questions. We need to be able to show them how it's reasonable to see who Jesus Christ is as their Savior and as their one Lord. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your life mission. This is what you live for. This is why God left you on earth after you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He didn't leave you here to build a career as your primary mission. He didn't leave you here to raise your kids as your primary mission. He did not leave you here to do what you want as your primary mission. He left you here after you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior to stay on His mission, which is to make sure that everybody you come in contact with knows Jesus Christ. Does your heart give witness that this is your life mission? Does your heart witness to yourself that, yes, I live on mission every day? Does how you live your life, what your priorities, what you do, does your, how you live your life give witness that this is your life mission? Those are hard questions. Those are hard things to look at in the mirror with. Does my heart bear testimony that I really do desire and strive to stay on mission every day that I breathe? So we have the same mission. The second thing that we have in common is we have the same clear message. We have the same clear message in common with Paul. And what is that message? We find it in Acts 28, 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. That's the message. All in a nutshell. With all boldness and without hindrance. Does your life and how you live it and what you do and what you think about, does that hinder your boldness with the gospel? Is your career more important than the gospel? Is your family more important than the gospel? Is it more important than this message? This is the same message that Jesus Christ himself in Acts 1-3. And he, Jesus Christ, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? Read it. The kingdom of God. It's the same message that Philip, 
when he was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about what? Read it. The kingdom of God and what? The name of Jesus Christ. That's the message. And it's the same message that Paul speaks about in Acts 17 and Acts 19. But we need to understand and ask this question. What does it mean to talk about the kingdom of God? What does it mean? It means that God is the ruler of the universe. He is the absolute ruler of the universe. And He has set in motion everything that is needed to bring His kingdom to fruition. That's what it means. That God is the ruler and He has set what He needs to have in motion to bring His kingdom into existence. And that's going to be a kingdom where everything is perfect. There is no sin, there is no sickness. There is no death, no hatred, no divorce, no abortion, no depression, no abuse, and no human trafficking, and the list can go on. It will be a kingdom of perfection where no evil exists. And His kingdom will be an unbelievable place for everyone who is a citizen of that kingdom. That's what it means that they're teaching the kingdom of God. They're teaching about God and what God is planning on doing and what God is doing. But how will, how will he establish? How will God establish his kingdom? How will he populate his kingdom? Through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's how he'll populate this kingdom. No one can enter the kingdom of God on their own merit. Sin disqualifies every single person from, that king, from kingdom citizenship. And there is no way that we can get out of that situation on our own. Our sin makes us the enemies of God the focus of His wrath outside of His kingdom. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they will be, say it with me, they will be what? Saved. That's how we populate the kingdom. That's how we become kingdom citizens of this kingdom that God has has is going to be, bring to fruition. Those who are saved, they will become children of God, heirs to the promised kingdom, kingdom citizens who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what it means when it says that we're telling people and explaining to people what the kingdom of God is. We want to show them what is come, to come and what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And we want to show them what the kingdom of God, or what they're going to miss out on if they are not citizens of that kingdom because of our sin. And that the only way to become a citizen is through salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That's our message. We have the same clear message This is what it means to talk about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is what we witness to when we stay on mission. There will be a time when God says, it is time that my kingdom is going to be here. And it's time for me to bring my people into my kingdom. And at that time, there will be great joy because there will be no more evil. There will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. But there will also be great weeping because those who did not come to Jesus for salvation will be forever separated from God's kingdom and spend eternity in hell separated from Jesus Christ for all of eternity. That is the only other option if we're not a kingdom citizen. 
And that is why we look at our loved ones, we look at our neighbors, we look at the Walmart cashier, we look at anybody, we look them in the eye, and we say, you need to know Jesus Christ. And God has put me on here to tell you and anybody else that that is salvation. That is the way out of our sin condition. I'm going to ask you some more questions. Does your heart give witness that this is the life message, the kingdom of God for your life? Does your heart give witness? Does it testify to you that your life message is the kingdom of God or is your life message something that focuses on you? Or does your life testify about your comfort, your investments, your career, your wants and your desires? We have the same mission as Paul, and we have the same message as Paul, and we also have the same presence of God that Paul had, the same presence. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, we, which we've already read, uh, verse 20, at the end of verse 20, it says, and behold, read it with me, really, read it with me loud, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has not left us alone to carry on this mission by ourselves. There are times when we choose not to focus on our mission and begin to focus on ourselves. And then we begin to feel guilty and worthless as a follower of Jesus Christ. We want to run and hide from God because we realize that we have turned away from the mission that He has called us to. But Jesus knew that we are weak. Jesus Christ here has promised that He will always be with us and He will never abandon us even when we go off mission. Yes, He will remind us of the mission and we have been reminded it for months now, true? For months we've been reminded week after week after week that our mission is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will remind us of our mission. And yes, if we stay off mission and we don't come back to Him and ask for forgiveness, we will be disciplined for not staying on mission. But Jesus will always be there. He will always welcome us back, always encouraging us through His Word to stay on mission and not let the evil of this world distract us. And here's one of the most important and one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible because Mark Hardenbrook needs this verse. If we confess our sins, how many of you here need to confess your sins on a regular basis? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? all unrighteousness, and it puts us back into a good standing with Him. We get back on mission, and we live our lives to bring glory to God by proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. We are never by ourselves in striving to stay on mission. Jesus, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is always with us. And then we have one final thing in common with Paul. We serve the same God who is sovereign over all creation. We serve the same God who is sovereign over all creation. Throughout our studies of Acts, we have seen the sovereign power of God displayed, haven't we? He birthed the church in Jerusalem with 120 people and established it throughout the known world. No world leader, no religious leader, no mob could stop God from bringing His church and growing His church into the world. Nothing was going to stop God from bringing His church, populating His kingdom, with the people who accept Jesus Christ. Nobody was going to stop God from doing that because He is the sovereign God over all creation. 
We've seen him providentially protect those he called to be his witnesses. Over and over throughout Acts, we've seen God release his people from prison, protect them from storms and mobs, and ensure that they had the chance to speak the gospel to heads of state and anyone else who would listen. Think about Paul being a Pharisee in the Jewish nation, and Paul got to stand before Festus and Felix and King Agrippa and Caesar. That's just almost, that's unheard of in the Rome. And God providentially said, Paul, I need you to do these things. And Paul, I'm going to bring you to Rome. And Paul said, okay. And Paul went forward and knew that no matter what, no matter what storm, no matter what snake, no matter what happened, he was going to end up in Rome because God, his sovereign God, said so. What Luke reveals in Acts about the providence of God and his sovereignty over all creation is designed to build our confidence to stay on mission because we serve that same God who grows and protects His church that is filled with His people. We should be a people of great confidence right now. We've watched God birth the church and bring it to maturity, no matter what has stood in its way. We've watched God change Gentiles. We've watched God change Jews. We've watched God build His kingdom. And nothing stood in the way. And we serve that same God. And we can see the same results in our lives. As long as we stay on mission and talk to people about Jesus Christ and live the life that we have been chosen to live by God instead of living the life that America says that we should have. It doesn't mean that we won't have the life that America says. It doesn't mean that what we have is wrong or the abundance that we have is sinful. But it means that those things can get in the way of our mission. And we can raise children and we can raise youth and we can raise college-age students to only think about themselves instead of the mission that they were given. These things we have in common with Paul help encourage us to stay on mission because we have them in common with Paul and we watched Paul live them out. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And he will walk with us just like he did with Paul 2,000 years ago. Yes, we're not Paul. And yes, we do not live in the, 20, in the first century. But we save, have the same mission. We have the same clear message. We have the same presence of God. And we serve the same God who is so sovereign over all the universe, all of creation. The world needs to hear the clear gospel message of Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins. <clears throat> And if you're building anything in your life that is outside of that as the focus, then you're building wood, hay, and stubble. You're building wood, hay, and stubble. It will not last for eternity. But if we take the things that God has given us and invest them into eternity, we take our abundance and we use it and the myriad of ways that it can be used to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not just through the church, but in my own life, to my neighbors and to my family, to my coworkers, to my friends. Taking what God has given us and investing it in the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing whatever it takes so we can talk to them. And then we're building something that is going to be worthwhile in the kingdom of God, that we were going to share with Christ for all of eternity. We've been given the mission of the, spreading that message to the ends of the earth. 
And we can be confident that God will be with us on that mission. And that is what we have learned in the book of Acts. And we can leave this place today confident that we can fulfill our mission to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth because of what God has shown us throughout the whole book of Acts. And I have hoped, I hope, that you've enjoyed the journey that Paul and Peter from Jerusalem all the way to Rome and everything that happened in between. Because it shows us that we have a mission that is attainable, we have a mission that has great reward, and we have a mission that will change people's lives for all of eternity. Let's not give that up because we are focused on everything else but the mission. God didn't save you for you. God saved you because he's given you a mission to preach Jesus Christ to the world. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Please bow your heads. There may be some here this morning who have come really to the realization that maybe I am distracted Maybe I have built my life around what I think is successful and what the world says life should be and that those things have become more important than sharing the gospel. If you maybe have come to that place, then there's still Jesus Christ who has said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you can do that right now. You can confess to Jesus Christ and say, Lord God, I am sorry that I have been distracted. Lord God, teach me and give me the strength to be your witness to the world. If you find yourself in that position, then pray that right now. Come before God and know that He will forgive you when you ask Him. There may be somebody here this morning who's realized that they're on a completely different mission. That they don't have the drive and the heart to spread the gospel. Maybe they've realized that the mission I've been on and what I've been building and is all wood, hay, and stubble and won't end or won't last to the end. Well, that can change today. You can have a new mission today. You can learn about the new mission and begin to learn about that new mission today if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you. And you can learn and you can grow through the reading of His Word and through teaching and Bible studies about how to live the mission that God has given you. A mission that is worthwhile that is worth more than anything you've been building thus far. I plead with you. I'm trying to persuade you this morning to lay aside that mission and come to Jesus Christ and say, I want the mission that you have given because that's the only thing that is worthwhile and it's the only thing that will have rewards in the kingdom of heaven. Father God, we bow before you and we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for what we saw you doing as you have started to build your kingdom. 
when the Holy Spirit came in that small room on 120 people and your church began. Father, thank you for bringing us in to your church. Thank you for giving us the legacy of Paul and Peter and Stephen and all those that we learned about in Acts. Thank you, Lord God, that you have opened our eyes to your word to see that it is worthwhile to live your mission, that we are capable of living your mission, and that we can do it, Lord God, no matter what circumstance that we're in. Lord God, the world needs to hear us. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God, to bring that testimony out these doors this morning. In Christ's name, amen.